0: This episode of Weird Darkness is brought to you by the Nocturnal Readers Box. If you love horror and sci-fi, the Nocturnal Readers Box is for you. Two novels every month delivered directly to your door, along with horror or sci-fi themed bookmarks, art pieces, and more. Visit the nocturnalreadersbox.com and find out what's in next month's box. Get 15% off your first 6-month subscription by using the promo code WEIRD15. That's all one word, weird one five. Sign up now at TheNocturnalReadersBox.com or click the link in the show notes. In H.G. Wells' classic novel of 1895, The Time Machine, an adventurous Londoner heads off into a dark future where he clashes with cave-dwelling monsters. explores ruined cities and witnesses the final moments of life on Earth. In the 1968 movie Planet of the Apes, Charlton Heston's character Taylor, an American astronaut, arrives on a nightmarish world run by a race of talking apes. Only at the film's climax, as he stumbles upon the remains of the Statue of Liberty, does Taylor realize with horror that he has not set foot on some far-off planet after all. Rather, he is home. 2,000 years in the future, and after a worldwide holocaust that has destroyed human civilization. Then there's Michael J. Fox's character Marty McFly, who, in the 1985 Hollywood comedy blockbuster Back to the Future, travels through time to 1955. On doing so, he almost makes out with his then-teenage mom, comes perilously close to wiping out his own existence as a result of his time-traveling antics and, in single-handed fashion, invents rock and roll. And let's not forget Bruce Willis in 1995's Twelve Monkeys. At least as far as mega bucks movies and literary classics are concerned, the theme of time travel is a spectacularly successful one. But what of the real world? Are time travelers really among us? Is there a direct connection between the world of time travel and that of UFOs? I'm Darren Marlar and this is Weird Darkness. Welcome, Weirdos! This is Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. If you have a dark tale to tell, you can share it with me at WeirdDarkness.com. And I might use it in a future episode. And be sure to subscribe if you've not done so already so you don't miss future uploads. And if you're already a fan of the show, please share it with others to help bring them into the Weird Darkness as well. It's also extremely beneficial and appreciated if you leave a quick review about Weird Darkness in Apple Podcasts if that's where you listen. You'll also want to sign up for my newsletter – it's where I'll be holding contests, giveaways, and more. It's called the Marler Sheet, and you can sign up for it at WeirdDarkness.com or look for the Marler Sheet link in the show notes. Coming up in this episode of Weird Darkness… Near the end of World War I, a bizarre disease known as Sleepy Sickness or Lethargic Encephalitis was contracted by millions of people across the world. What was it? And why did nearly one million people who came down with the disease die from it, while so many others did not? Horror and sci-fi author and Weird Darkness fan J.D. Buffington doesn't believe in such things as ghosts. If Houdini couldn't reach his wife from the other side, then certainly no one else could either, right? But that being said, J.D. has had some weird things take place in his life. Soon after moving into a sprawling Denver mansion, Russell Hunter sensed he wasn't alone. I'll share true events that inspired the film The Changeling. And for those who claim to have spoken with extraterrestrials, they are told the aliens arrive here from other worlds. But what if the so-called aliens aren't really aliens at all? What if they're human, visiting from the future? Just about everyone has heard of unidentified flying objects, or UFOs. But what about unidentified future objects? Alien encounters have been reported for decades. If there's one thing that the aliens are keen to tell us and have us believe is that they originate from other worlds. But are they being truthful with us? Might they really be time travelers? Why is it that our aliens conveniently speak our languages? How is that, with no trouble at all, they can breathe our atmosphere? Why do they abduct us and use us in bizarre genetic experiments? Surely we are not physically and genetically compatible with creatures from faraway solar systems. They assure us that we are indeed compatible, though it all sounds far too convenient and carefully stage-managed. Maybe that's because they are not from faraway worlds after all. Perhaps they are from right here, on Earth. Not our Earth, so to speak, but the Earth of the future, the distant future, an Earth that is in ruins and at a time when the human race is perilously close to extinction they travel into their distant past, our present, and engage in clandestine programs to reap DNA, cells, sperm, and eggs as a means to try and save what is left of us thousands of years from now. Keenly aware of the fact that the people of the 20th and 21st century held deep beliefs with regard to the concept of extraterrestrial life, they chose to adopt the guises of the alien things we believe in as a means to camouflage their real identities. Could that be the shocking truth? Formerly of the U.S. Air Force and one of the key military players in the famous UFO encounter at Rendlesham Forest, Suffolk, England, in December 1980, Sergeant Jim Penniston in 1994 underwent hypnotic regression as part of an attempt to try and recall deeply buried data relative to what occurred to him during one of Britain's closest encounters. Very interestingly, and while under hypnosis, Peniston stated that our presumed aliens are, in reality, visitors from a far-flung future. That future, Peniston added, is very dark, in infinitely deep trouble, polluted and where the human race is overwhelmingly blighted by reproductive problems. The answer to those same massive problems, Penniston was told by the entities he met in the woods, is that they travel into the distant past, to our present day, to secure sperm, eggs, and chromosomes, all as part of an effort to try and ensure the continuation of the severely waning human race of tomorrow. Time travel is not theoretically possible, for if it was, they'd really be here telling us about it. British physicist Professor Stephen Hawking famously said. And even if time travel did one day become a possibility, it would be beset by major problems, claimed Hawking. Suppose it were possible to go off in a rocket ship and come back before you set off. What would stop you from blowing up the rocket on its launch pad, or otherwise preventing you from setting out in the first place? Not everyone agrees with Hawking. One possible way of traveling through time, is via what are known in physics as wormholes, a term coined in 1957 by theoretical physicist John Wheeler. The wormhole is basically a shortcut through both space and time, and although firm evidence for the existence of these so-called time tunnels has not yet been firmly proven, they do not fall outside of the boundaries presented in Einstein's theory of general relativity. Then there is the matter of the sinister men in black they are perceived by UFO researchers as human-looking alien creatures or government agents whose secret role is to silence UFO witnesses, something that history has shown they are very good at. Maybe though, the MIB are not the bad guys after all. Perhaps they are time cops working to ensure that UFO witnesses don't get too close to the truth, namely the time travel angle. After all, just about everything about the MIB is out of time. They almost always wear 1950s era's black suits. Their mode of transport, old-time Cadillac cars, is out of time as well. They have even asked witnesses on more than a few occasions, what time is it? Maybe they're actually asking what year they are in, or even which century. Perhaps in the distant future, little is known of our time maybe we destroyed ourselves and, as a consequence, the people of the future are tasked with repairing the planet and doing their utmost to save what is left of our species. Possibly they've limited knowledge of our culture and even our fashions, apart from what they know from pages of aging, crumbling old magazines from the 1950s. So, they adopt the attire they assume will allow them to blend in with the people of the 21st century when, in reality, it's the exact opposite. The MIB stand out like a sore thumb, or like a man out of time. Paranormal researcher Joshua P. Warren comments on this link between time travel and the Men in Black. It could be that the Men in Black follow all this UFO stuff around, that's their job. Not that they are causing these things to happen, but they are alerted to it when there's a dangerous timeline issue that needs to be corrected they are not necessarily the bad guys at all. They might be doing damage control, and maybe that includes warning and silencing witnesses to protect the time travel secret. They might be weird, and they might look weird, but their overall mission may be just to keep order and protect the timelines. Of course, we need to remain grounded on all of this. So far, there is no definitive proof whatsoever that we have or have ever had time travelers in our midst. And there's no evidence that UFOs are really time machines. So in other words, everything is very much theoretical and speculative. And just about nothing else. But it doesn't hurt to speculate. I like to think I'm a pretty open-minded guy. I believe in God and spirits. I'm certain of extraterrestrial life. And I'm unwilling to dismiss outright anything anyone believes with absolute conviction. I believe they believe, and reality is perception, so yeah. Now, having turned 33 this year, I've lived a little while and I've seen things that would fall in the paranormal category. On today's Sunday morning, They were talking to Chip Coffee, and he said something to the effect of paranormal means you don't know or you can't explain what happened, but you know something happened. I've had a number of those. Being the season for ghost stories, I'll share my experiences here. I know I've got a pretty damned powerful memory. I can remember pretty far back, and I can remember instances with intense clarity, even mundane things. My earliest memory, of which there are two right around the same time and within the same house, I know I'm laying in a crib, I can see the bars. The direction I'm facing, laying on my stomach, I can see a window. It's either late or early, the light is dim and silvery outside. This bush has a pretty wicked shape to it, but as I'm looking at it, two glowing red eyes seem to open and it takes the shape of a monster maybe like a pterodactyl, and I slowly turn my head the other way to not see the monster outside my window. Looking back on that memory and the second one where I'm being held by my mother and we're watching fireworks outside, I realize it was just a bush and a car across the street, perhaps in their driveway, stepped on the brakes, lighting up the demon's eyes. That's hindsight. It doesn't change the fact that one of my earliest memories is of being scared of a monster staring me down. Growing up, I remember a lot of things, but being scared of ghosts and monsters came when I moved into the house that I mostly grew up in. My dad still lives in that house, though whatever plagued me doesn't seem to bother him. But of course, I was a kid. The first few nights we stayed there, sleeping on the couch before I had bedroom furniture I nightmared of a man or thing staring at me through the two windows on the top of the front door. It wanted in. It wanted to get me. It was battering the door, and I was scared stiff. Like any kid, once I finally shook off the dream, I ran to my parents' room. The nightmares in that house were always intense like that, usually of something outside desperately trying to get me. I had many night terrors inability to move despite feeling wide awake. Sometimes it would even feel like someone was sitting or lying in the bed with me. Once, I even felt the bed depress under someone's weight, with no one there. But those aren't ghosts. The ghosts, or phantoms as I like to label them, came once I was established in my room. They came into my room regularly out of my peripheral vision, I saw them daily, always outside of directly looking at them. Shadow people, male in shape, very tall, always coming in through my bedroom door. One of them was so vivid that I didn't realize I was seeing a phantom and believed my dad had stepped into the room, so I began to talk to him. My dad, ten feet away in his own bedroom, finally did come walking in asking what I was talking about. I told him I was talking to him. I thought he had just stepped in. Needless to say, it was spooky for both of us. Standing in the kitchen one night, just talking to each other, I don't remember the conversation itself, just that we were talking. A toy car of mine jumped up off the carving table. Problem? No batteries. And this wasn't a it-was-sitting-near-the-edge-and-fell-to-the-floor thing. It drove six inches and launched itself three feet across the room, right in front of me, and my dad saw it just take off from a standstill. Again, we're both a little freaked, but laugh it off. In that house, besides Phantoms, there was the thing in the kitchen. I never saw it, but I heard it. The first time was when I had two friends over for a slumber party on my seventh or eighth birthday. I thought my mom or dad had gotten up and was making coffee or breakfast at first, but the cabinets kept opening and shutting over and over. I laid there petrified as I realized there was no other sound, like a feet or bodily movement, just the cabinets swinging open and shutting with a clunk. I know I was awake because I looked at my friends, each sleeping on the floor, dead asleep. That wasn't the only time I heard it, either. There were plenty of mornings the cabinets opened and shut, and I finally asked my dad if he was doing it or heard it to find that, no, he had no idea. Recently, staying the night there, I was actually scared I would hear that, but fortunately it seems the restless cabinet monster had finally found what it was looking for. My first full frontal encounter with a ghost came around Thanksgiving. In a little house in Sweetwater, Texas the family had gathered at. My dad and I slept on a hideaway bed in the living room. One night, I woke up. I don't know when in the evening, but it was dark inside and out, just ambient light from outside, streetlights or the moon, and much to my surprise, someone was sitting next to me, about my midsection between the edge of the bed and the TV, enough room for one person's width. Waking up and seeing this person staring at me was jarring enough, but I thought I recognized the face, at first. I looked directly at her, person I thought was my aunt. But as I looked directly in this thing's face, staring at me barely two feet from my face, I realized it had no eyes, just black, smoky pits. Slamming my eyes shut, terrified, I tried to will myself back to sleep. This was just a nightmare. I tried to make small movements to back myself up against my dad. Maybe I could annoy him awake to chase whatever it was away. I laid there with my eyes squeezed shut for a long while, relaxation only coming after nothing happened for so long. But I was still afraid to open my eyes, even when the morning light came. I asked my aunt about it. Had she come into the room to maybe check on me? Did she sleepwalk? Please, just tell me it was her and I was just confused in the darkness. But no. And then everyone started sharing crazy, scary encounters of their own, hardly making me feel safe but at least not alone in my experience. Other than a general apprehension in the dark, the no-eyed ghost was the worst thing I saw for a long time and I'm willing to concede that most of what I've explained here could all very well be explained away. But that's not all of my experiences. One in particular is more recent, and happened over a period of months, during all matter of hours, and I have corroborating witnesses. Near 21st and Garnett, here in Tulsa, are the Dove Park townhomes. I had been living in a single bedroom for the last six months and the drummer in my band was looking to move out of the house that she was in and wanted to know if I'd be cool with rooming with her. We both worked for the same place. We were in a band together, it'd work out great. We could carpool, help each other with bills, awesome. It was completely platonic, and she actually stayed there rarely, opting to stay the night with her boyfriend most of the time. So basically I had a whole big place to myself and she used one of the rooms as storage. She paid her half of everything on time, and we were good. But it wasn't good. Not all the time. The very first night in that place, and I was alone that night too. She hadn't moved her bed over yet. I heard strange sounds from across the street in a little strip shopping center, and then helicopters and sirens, and it was a commotion for a long while, making it difficult to sleep. Someone had been murdered at a nightclub, shot dead in their car, not two blocks from our apartments. It was a great start to our lease. Outward appearances made it seem like it was a decent neighborhood. Yeah, there was the aforementioned strip mall, but all around it was a decent neighborhood. So I was shocked and apprehensive about living in a place like that. Through that first week, we started having plumbing problems. I had a private little water closet just off the main bath which was between our two bedrooms upstairs. It always stank like sewage. In one time, the toilet acted like it was backed up, and my own efforts with a plunger weren't releasing whatever the stinking blockage was. I called the complex managers, and they'd send a plumber. I went to work. That evening, there was a work order receipt. They had fixed the problem. I went upstairs. Still a slight odor, but the toilet seemed to be working. The next morning, going through my routine, the exact same thing raw sewage smell, toilet backs up. My efforts fail. But when I went downstairs, the ceiling was leaking, dripping water all over my roommate's couch. Furious, I called both the apartment people and my roommate, and I just wanted out. Shootings, bad plumbing, Ruining furniture, this was an exercise in frustration, but my roommate convinced me just to be patient. We couldn't really afford anywhere else or to back out anyway. I mostly quit using that toilet anymore, just to be on the safe side. These events just sort of set the table. In watching a million ghost shows and haunting specials and perusing YouTube surveillance footage of ghosts caught on film, a few things always stick out to me especially regarding the really inexplicable hauntings. Cold spots, sounds from above like footsteps or balls rolling, and a prevalent stinking smell. I had the stinking smell in my bathroom, which at first I attributed to poor plumbing, considering they couldn't fix the problem. But on many days and nights, being alone in the house, watching TV or playing a game, either in the living room or on my PC, which was set up in the kitchen, I could hear what sounded like a game of billiards going on upstairs, sounding like it was coming directly from my roommate's room. I went up often to check on things, thinking something had fallen down, but nothing was ever out of place. On occasion, I would hear our neighbors or their kids through the walls, so I figured the kids were roughhousing upstairs and I was hearing reverberation downstairs. I began to dismiss it. It was a symptom of living next to a family with kids. One evening, getting home after dark from work, I stepped into the house, sat down my bag, and was about to go into the kitchen when a knock came at the door. I opened it up and it was our neighbors, husband and wife looking concerned. They asked if everything was alright. Uh, yeah, I just got home. The looks on their faces put me off guard. They were startled sounded like there was a fight, a pretty bad one. We just wanted to make sure everything was okay. Again, I told them I had just got home and my roommate wasn't in. They were genuinely concerned. This day and age of turning a blind eye, they came over together, ready to confront a domestic dispute. And I was all alone in a house that had been empty just moments before when they heard something. All three of us looked up the dark staircase just behind the front door. It was surreal, like out of a movie. I leaned back and looked at my back kitchen door to make sure that it hadn't been kicked in. Maybe there were burglars upstairs. I looked back at them, thanked them for letting me know, and I would check on it. The man said if there was a problem to let him know. I shut the door and scoured the first floor. Nothing was out of place, and I had unlocked the front door when I had come in. I finally worked up the courage to go upstairs, terrified of finding a living person ready to jump me, remotely scared of something paranormal thanks to strange noises and smells in the house. I turned on every light like a kid scared of the dark, reaching in quietly to flip the switch before I bodily entered the room. But no one was there. Nothing was out of place. I searched closets, under the beds, not a thing out of order whatever was happening in the house was happening even when we were away and our neighbors could hear it too. In the midst of all of this, my roommate and her boyfriend had their own experiences, well, mostly with the sounds, telling me about hearing footsteps where no one was. This relieved me greatly. I'm not crazy. Other people can hear the sounds. The neighbors aren't the ones making them. They're hearing them too. But for about four or five months, that was it scary sounds. My best friend bought a house and asked if I'd want to move in. It'd be like a bachelor pad, three of us in a house together doing guy stuff 24-7. I still had a month on the lease, so I didn't feel like I could take him up on the offer. So he offered that I just pay my portion of the utilities and he'd give me the rent off for the first month because he'd still be making out better if I was only helping with the utilities. Sounded too good to pass up. I shut everything off except electricity and started to move out. My roommate was cool with it, she'd move out early too and in with her boyfriend. I slowly moved junk over in my car, my computer being one of the last things I moved. I checked email and bills before preparing to power it down and take everything apart. Upstairs I could hear footsteps and heavy movement, like furniture moving. This was different than the odd little billiards sound. It definitely sounded like a body and things moving. I assumed it was my roommate's boyfriend. He had been in and out helping her move, so I paid it no mind and didn't think that it was our ghost by any means. Satisfied enough to turn off my computer and the monitor blinked out. How it was set up, you could see the living room reflected in the monitor's glass. A lamp was on in there and standing behind me between the back of my chair and the lamp, creating a darkened silhouette, was a man. I thought it was Josh come down to say hi or maybe to try and spook me. So I said, hi Josh, before turning around. Only when I turned around, there was nothing. No one, nobody, and no body. The house was empty and now very quiet. I ran upstairs, no lights on, and nothing else gone from the last time I'd been upstairs. It had finally shown itself, and it was right behind me. Just writing this, recalling it, sets my skin to crawling. I immediately called my friend and asked him to come over right then because I still had things to move to my car. After relating the tale, he refused. He didn't want to see a ghost. coward. I kid, I was terrified and desperately wanted out myself. I wasn't exactly courageous in facing the unknown. He told me just to go ahead and stay the night at his house, starting that evening, to just get my stuff in broad daylight. I did, and once that last month of our lease was up, I did a walkthrough with the manager. The smell still lingered in the upstairs bathroom, but nothing made a sound or showed up while we were there. Once we stepped back outside, I told him everything that had happened, in case he or the company needed to be made aware of that kind of thing. He didn't shrug me off. Instead, he told me of his own hauntings at a lake house he stayed in as a kid. A lot of people experience crazy things, and we worry we are crazy experiencing them. But we're not alone. I'm not embarrassed of my ghost stories. I'll share them with people gladly and most people I've shared them with have had stories of their own. Keep listening, there's more Weird Darkness to come. I've been telling you quite a bit about my own experiences using Dawn to Dusk and how much I believe in it, but yesterday I received an email from one of our fellow Weirdo family members who has tried Dawn to Dusk for themselves. He said, I bought one order of Dawn to Dusk and here it is Monday and I'm feeling so high energy and happy. Now, to be fair, I had a very busy, but really good weekend and I've been taking one tablet of Dawn to Dusk each day for the last three days. So I thought it might be psychosomatic, but I wasn't thinking about the tablets. I wasn't going, okay, do I feel it? Do I feel it? I just have had a lot of energy. And then when your podcast came on, I thought, oh yeah, I started taking these, they must really work. So thank you for recommending this product. Man, oh man, is it ever worth it. Signed, Mike Happily Whining Away, Winer. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate the email. In fact, if you've tried Dawn to Dusk because of my mentioning it, I would love to hear from you and see how it works for you. You can get Dawn to Dusk right now at a discount. You can save 10% if you use the promo code WEIRD when you check out go to BrickHouseWeird.com and see it for yourself. That's BrickHouseWeird.com. And again, you can save 10% on Dawn to Dusk if you use the promo code WEIRD when you check out. That's BrickHouseWeird.com. Chances are you're familiar with the 1980 ghost movie classic The Changeling, even if you've never seen it. That's because the film's iconic scene of a red rubber ball bouncing down the stairs has been referenced in numerous horror flicks throughout the years. In fact, the sequence came in at number 54 on Bravo's list of 100 Scariest Movie Moments, and Martin Scorsese listed The Changeling as one of the 11 scariest films of all time. More recently, Guillermo del Toro made numerous nods to the ghost flick in his horror-gothic romance, Crimson Peak. What you may not know about The Changeling, however, is that it's a tale of a malevolent spirit haunting a gloomy mansion and it's based on a true story. In 1968, composer Russell Hunter moved from New York into the Henry Treat Rogers mansion near Cheesman Park in Denver, Colorado. He would later claim in an interview that he rented the estate for the unbelievable price of $200 per month because no one else wanted to live there. In February of 1969, Hunter began experiencing strange phenomena in the house. It started with an unbelievable banging and crashing every morning at 6 a.m that stopped whenever Hunter would get out of bed. Doors opened and closed by themselves, faucets turned off and on, and walls vibrated so violently that they knocked paintings to the floor. As he investigated these strange disturbances, Hunter claimed to have found a hidden staircase in the back of an upstairs closet. The narrow passageway led to a secret room, where Hunter found the belongings, including a journal, of a young boy who had lived in the house a century ago. Hunter poured through the journal contents and conducted a seance to piece together the paranormal puzzle. He discerned the resident ghost was a sickly child who once lived in the home and had been heir to a fortune from his grandmother before succumbing to his infirmity. The boy's parents were worried his inheritance might pass to another family member if word got out about his death. So, The unscrupulous couple buried their dead son in an unmarked grave in a field southeast of Denver. They then adopted a boy from a local orphanage to pose as their child, who accepted the inheritance and later went on to great wealth and success. According to Hunter, the ghost of the sickly boy directed him to the aforementioned unmarked grave, which was now located beneath a house on South Dahlia Street in Denver. The spirit reportedly threatened to harm the family living in the South Dahlia home if they didn't give Hunter permission to dig there. The family acquiesced. It wasn't long before Hunter and his team unearthed human remains, along with a gold medallion inscribed with the dead child's name. Yet the grisly discovery didn't solve Hunter's problem. In fact, the haunting only grew worse. A set of glass doors exploded in Hunter's face, severing an artery in his wrist. The wall behind Hunter's bed imploded and crumbled down on top of him. Fearing for his life, Hunter fled to a new house on Kearney Street, but the hauntings moved with him. Finally, Hunter called in a priest from the Epiphany Episcopal Church to perform an exorcism, which seemed to clear the air. Hunter's account will sound familiar to anyone who has seen the Changeling film. The red rubber ball even makes an appearance in the original tale, as it was apparently the sickly boy's favorite toy. Hunter's claims also seem like they would be easy enough to corroborate. And yes, when you begin inspecting Hunter's account, gaps do emerge. The Denver Library recently did an excellent job of fact-checking Hunter's ghostly claims. Among the library's findings, is the absence of any concrete records that Hunter actually lived in the Henry Treat Williams Mansion, though he did reside in Denver at the end of the 1960s where he helped his parents manage the Three Birches Lodge in Boulder. As for the boy who supposedly haunted the house, there isn't any solid record of him either, and there's no way he lived in the house a century before Hunter did as it wasn't even built until 1892. There are enough odd mysteries surrounding Hunter's account to make a paranormal investigator curious, though, including the fact that the family who built the mansion owned farmland around where the child's unmarked grave was said to have been located. None of that stops people from continuing to report strange happenings all over Cheeseman Park neighborhood to this very day, including cold spots, sudden sensations of dread, and ghostly orbs appearing in photographs. These may have nothing to do with Hunter's story, however, and much more to do with the fact that Cheeseman Park was originally a graveyard. As recently as 2010, workers digging trenches for the park's irrigation system unearthed four skeletons from the abandoned cemetery. And if that's not the beginning of a killer ghost story, then what is? Near the end of World War I, a bizarre disease known as sleepy sickness or lethargic encephalitis was contracted by millions of people across the world. There seemed to be no treatment for it, and the cause of the disease remains a mystery to this day. What was it, and why did nearly one million people who came down with the disease die from it while so many others did not? That's the problem. No one knows. Those who survived the disturbing illness probably wished they had died. It transformed people into living statues, forcing them to spend the rest of their lives trapped within their bodies and locked away in institutions, speechless and motionless. You're probably thinking that you've never heard of this, and there's a good reason why. The brain illness spread around the globe at the same time as the Spanish flu pandemic that killed over 50 million people, causing it to be overlooked by history in spite of the one million dead and the millions of lives that were affected by it. Although most cases were reported near the end of World War I, it's believed that the epidemic began in 1915 or 1916 when soldiers who displayed incredible lethargy and confusion were examined by doctors in Paris. At first, they assumed the cause of their unusual symptoms was mustard gas. Which had been used during the war. But this proved to be wrong. It turned out that the disease was already being studied by a neurologist from Vienna named Konstantin von Economo, who had been studying the effects of the illness in civilians. In a paper, he wrote, We are dealing with a kind of sleeping sickness, having an unusually prolonged course. The first symptoms are usually acute with headaches and malaise. Then a state of somnolence appears, often associated with active delirium from which the patient can be awakened easily. He is able to give appropriate answers and to comprehend the situation. This delirious somnolence can lead to death, rapidly or over the course of a few weeks. On the other hand, it can persist unchanged for weeks or even months, with periods lasting bouts of days or even longer, a fluctuation of the depth of unconsciousness extending from simple sleepiness to deepest stupor or coma. Just a year after Economo's paper was published, the horrifying illness turned into an epidemic, taking its toll in human lives and leaving millions of people trapped in their own bodies. Lethargic encephalitis literally translates to brain inflammation that makes you tired, but it became commonly known as sleepy sickness. It's a funny name, but the result was anything but humorous. Most accounts state that over a third of those infected died, while around 20% survived but were more or less dependent on professional care for the rest of their lives. Sadly, fewer than one-third made full recoveries. It affected people of all ages, but like the Spanish flu, young people between 15 and 35 were hit the hardest. The initial stages of infection were a lot like the flu. A high fever, headache, feeling tired, runny nose, There was no way for the infected to know that he or she was battling a deadly disease, which gave the virus just enough time to spread into the brain. The disease peaked just after the war, but lingered for almost 10 years. Finally, it began to fade, but it never completely disappeared. In fact, new cases were reported as recently as 1993. Modern doctors who studied the new cases came to believe that patients were affected by a rare form of Streptococcus bacteria. They noted that the massive immune reaction to the bacteria caused the immune system of the infected to attack the brain, resulting in brain damage. But that's just a guess. So far, there is no warning, no treatment, and no cure for sleepy sickness. It remains one of the strangest medical mysteries of all time. If you like what you hear, and you want to hear even more, consider becoming a patron. I post commercial-free versions of Weird Darkness and bonus materials as well, including chapters of horror and paranormal books that I'm narrating into audiobooks as I record them. Become a patron by clicking the link in the show notes, or visit WeirdDarkness.com and click on Become a Patron. And if you like the show, please leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Doing so helps the show be seen by others and I might read your reviews here in the podcast." Sue Bourne said, "...I am fairly new to this podcast and am already hooked. He has so many different stories and they're always interesting. Very fun to listen to." Washburn Six Strong says, "...This is a great way to pass the time and keep your mind occupied. There's always interesting stories to both keep you curious and spook the crap out of you." Sean in Point Blue said, "...Love this podcast awesomely spooky stories and he's so easy to listen to. I stalk it every day for new episodes. Thanks to all of you who have posted those reviews, I really appreciate it and hopefully I'll read your review in the near future. Have you signed up for the Marler Sheet? It's my free newsletter where I hold contests, giveaways and of course keep you updated on everything Marler House. You can sign up for it right now at WeirdDarkness.com or look for the Marler Sheet link in the show notes. Do you have a dark tale to tell? Share your story at WeirdDarkness.com, and I might use it in a future episode. The following stories from this episode are purported to be true, and you can find links in the show notes. Aliens – Us from a Future Time was written by Nick Redfern. My Many Ghostly Encounters was written by J.D. Buffington. The Real-Life Haunting that Inspired the Changeling was written by Oren Gray. And The Forgotten Epidemic was written by Troy Taylor. Music provided by Midnight Syndicate and Shadows Symphony. You can find links to both in the show notes. Coming up June 9th, Weird Darkness is a sponsor of the New Orleans Comic-Con. These guys put together an amazing event and if you're a geek in any way and you're in the New Orleans area, you gotta check it out. It's the New Orleans Comic-Con June 9th. and Then on June 16th, I plan to be on location personally at the DuPage Comic-Con in Wheaton, Illinois. I'll be there in person for this one. If you're anywhere in the Wheaton or Chicago area on June 16th, I'd love to meet you face-to-face. You can come visit me at the Weird Darkness table. Again, that's the DuPage Comic Con in Wheaton, Illinois, June 16th. You can get the details of all events that I plan to be at by clicking the Events tab at WeirdDarkness.com. Find me on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and more. I have links to all of my social media at the top of the page at WeirdDarkness.com. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the Weird Darkness. This episode was brought to you by Send Out Cards. You can mail a real, personalized greeting card without leaving the house or going out to buy stamps. Choose from the hundreds of existing cards on the website or create one of your own completely from scratch using your own photos and message. You can even use your own handwriting and signature inside the card if you wish. And you create it all digitally on the website before it ever reaches the post office to get mailed. And for an extra special touch, you can add a gift to the card, like a stuffed animal, bakery items, or candy. In fact, Father's Day is coming up June 17th, so you actually have an opportunity to give this a try for that, and I'll pay for it for you. Go to sendoutcards.com weird, and I'll pay for the printing and the postage for you. You have to remember the slash weird part, though, if you want me to pay for it. Again, that's sendoutcards.com weird. every day comcast business is helping businesses big and small go beyond the expected to do the extraordinary because beyond a simple transaction there is making a customer for life comcast business beyond fast take your business beyond at comcastbusiness.com you ever hear something and know the world will never be the same houston we have liftoff we'll wait until you hear this one half price coffee that's right. Get into McDonald's weekdays before 10.30 a.m. for any size premium roast coffee or iced coffee. Both made with 100% Arabica beans. Both half the price. Good is brewing. And that's the sound of your morning changing. Limited time only. May not be combined with any offer or combo meal. At in McDonald's.